0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Saturday, November the 25th, 2023. Uh, As always, I'm talking to you from San Francisco, and of course, out here on the edge of Silicon Valley. We remain obsessed with the OpenAI story. seems at least the latest chapter to have finished. We did a show about it yesterday with my old friend Keith Teer, the author of the That Was the Week uh, tech newsletter, Uh, and he talks about um, a moral fight over technological progress. That's the subtext for Keith of of what's been happening at OpenAI over the last couple of weeks. He described in his last uh, newsletter, a tale of two weeks. It might be a tale of two cities. Uh, and above all else, a tale of two companies, uh, two companies existing within one company, a for-profit company and a social good company, a company obsessed with effective altruism versus a company obsessed with profit. It's an old story, of course, this uh, contrast and conflict, tension between technology for profit and technology for good. My guest today on the show, uh, Marga Hoek, has spent her career thinking about many of these issues. She's based in Amsterdam in the Netherlands, and she, appropriately enough uh, for our open AI age, has a new book out called "Tech: uh, Imagine Tech for Good. Solving the World's Greatest Challenges. Margot is joining us from Amsterdam. Margot, what do you make from Amsterdam of uh, of what's been happening with OpenAI? Does it fit into your narrative of imagining tech for good?
1: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, fit into the narrative. Well, the The book, Tech for Good, is about uh, the importance of tech having the attention to do good in this world. So actually to contribute in a positive way. And that I'm addressing uh, for two reasons. One being that we have huge challenges around the world, very important things to worry about. Things such as climate change, biodiversity, inequality, education, and so on and so forth, as being summarized in the Sustainable Development Goals. And just as we are, you know, mid through the period we um, all uh, agreed to solve these challenges uh, in the period between 2015 and 2030, because that's the timeline that comes with the sustainable development goals, midway through that period of time, of course, we're not midway through progress on these challenges. And precisely at that point in time, you could call it a pivotal moment in time we have to our availability whilst crossing over the threshold of the... Yeah, yeah, I I
0: take all that, and we'll get to that, Margaret, but you're not responding to my question on OpenAI, on this conflict between a company supposedly designed for the public good versus one designed for profit. And it seems as if the, the profitable side of OpenAI um, is is or certainly has won out over the last couple of weeks. What, what do you make of it? What does it look like to you as someone committed to the idea of tech for good?
1: Well, I was actually getting to that point. But let's skip a few parts. So I make of it that there's a lot of debate about the who and whether or not something set up as a philanthropy is a force for good or not, or was it commercial? And I think it's about the intention that somebody sets up Is sets up actually the intention to create value for the world, to have a positive impact, or is it a commercial intention that doesn't set out to do good? And as it comes across, there's a lot of debate about, you know, whether or not that that's the case instead of talking about what was really the outset, what was the achievement, what was set out to be achieved. And I think that should be much more the focus than the who and the how and who has right and who has it wrong and all that.
0: But what does it teach us? Um, as I said, uh, this idea of uh, open AI seems to be two companies in one, a tale of two companies. Um, One company designed for the public good, one company designed for profit. seems as if the company for profitability has won out, as I said, uh, at least in the short term, over the the one for public good. Um, What does that teach us about the structures of these multi-billion dollar tech startups, which uh, manifest this tension between doing good and making money for its investors? And maybe perhaps can do both simultaneously, although
1: that might be slightly
0: optimistic.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. I think that's the thing. Throughout all of my books and also in my own career as a CEO, I've always aimed to synergize both positively. So to have a company which is uh, uh, faced on, on profit, but that, you know, merges that with something to have a positive impact because that can be done. I mean, it's what we always call the shared value model, And actually, that can be done. There's so many markets you can address using technology for good that also have a business case, many new markets that open up. So that actually can be done. Instead of making it a contrast, we should synergize it positively.
0: You say it can be done, but the whole point of what's happened at OpenAI is it hasn't been done. Um, The whole point is that it seems very hard to design a company for the public good, which was what the non-profit side of OpenAI wanted to do versus the Sam Altman side, which is focused on moving as quickly as possible, seizing markets, and becoming a, a multi-billion, perhaps even trillion-dollar company. So what, what does that teach us about setting up companies for the good? So for, for people watching or listening who, who, who want to imagine creating a tech company for good, what, what, what would it suggest? That they should give up with the idea of profit or that they should embrace the idea of profit. Some people in Silicon Valley argue that the most good is done by the most profitable companies, whether it's OpenAI or Google or uh, Amazon or or Microsoft. What what would you make of that argument?
1: Yeah, well, what you want, of course, is that companies that aim for good scale as much as they can and that they become as big as possible because the bigger they become, you know, the, the better, the more they can do. And I think... What is wise to not start out with the assumption that if you want to do good, we have to do it in a philanthropic way. I mean, definitely some moonshots have to start that way because the the runway onto commercial is so long that you can't do it in any other way. But in many cases, you can make a business case from the start, and then you don't have that contrast. And of course, we have many large businesses that uh, haven't been set out in that way. And then the reaction is if we want to do good it has to be philanthropic and it can't be for profit but it's much better if it's for profit because then it's sustainable in the end you know then it can sustain then it can grow then it can get investments and that's a much better way to do it
0: are there from your perspective um in, in amsterdam looking out uh, westward towards the united states towards california are there silicon valley companies that you're confident use tech for for the good or, or are they all destructive is it's a huge debate i'm sure you've followed it carefully
1: yeah no definitely i think there's a lot of large companies that do good on part of their company um for instance if you look at microsoft and google they do good things it's not that they use tech for bad all all through their portfolio What you often see, though, is that, for instance, they do good in terms of renewable energy and commit to 2040 objectives and those things, uh, which is hugely important. But if you then look to their core business, you know, which is the tech itself and, and applying the tech in many business sectors, then what they do for good is relatively a small percentage. So the percentage in their portfolio doing good should hugely grow. So the initiatives are there, but it's just not big enough to really make a substantial percentage of total revenue. On the other hand, you have the innovative startups and scale-ups that do it 100% because it was the reason they started in the first place um they need further growth as well because it's still too tiny you know too tiny to really have an impact on global numbers so to say
0: there are some critics of big tech entrepreneurs and ceos um who believe that they hide behind the facade of tech for good to pursue their own interests one character always comes up in this kind of critique is mark benioff as salesforce do you think some of these? multi-billionaires use the idea of tech tech for good to pursue their own particular interests.
1: yeah of course i mean there's a lot um in the news now around green wishing of ceos of large companies that turn out to be greenwashing in the end meaning that first they start out with some green claims um uh, pledges and all that or some sustainable initiatives that sound great. I mean, you never know if they intend to really find that important and really want to do well or that it's to dress up green, so to say. But then often they don't materialize or they don't really seem to be uh, or they don't turn out um, what they seemed in the first place. And then it seems um, like they have been dressing up in nice initiatives. So I think some do it to look good. Um, some might not do, but then it doesn't always materialize as they set out in the beginning.
0: We are speaking with Marga Hoek, a, uh, a Dutch-based uh, entrepreneur, innovator, uh, and writer. She has a new book out, Imagine Tech for Good: Solving the World's Greatest challenges, Marga, What are the World's greatest challenges, in your view?
1: Well, they are um, defined in the Sustainable Development Goals, which I find a hugely helpful system because in that we brought together the most important things. And of course, one is poverty in the world, which is still, you know, we have ten percent of global population still under li- living under a, an acceptable uh, living wage. Um, one of the most important things, of course, is climate change. I mean, we're at the threshold of COP28. And we see that we have um, very little chance of staying under 1.5 degrees, as we set out to in 2015. We have biodiversity declining very rapidly, both in land and underwater. We still have huge inequality around the world. So it's ecological things, social things, and governance issue that we have to overcome, and it, which is in the best interest of everyone.
0: You've used this term sustainable development goals a couple of times. It, it sounds rather like bureaucratic jargon to me. Who came up with this term and, 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 and where's it from?
1: Well, it's the s- succeeder of the millennial goals that we had beforehand and the organization that really brought it forward is the United Nations. And the millennial goals preceding it weren't that well known. They were much more evolving around poverty because that was the primary worry at that time. And the Sustainable Development Goals was actually an interaction between government, science and business to set out goals that were much more concrete and um, much more practical in that sense and so they were set in 2015 and it's not only a government uh, or um united nations thing a lot of businesses around the world uh, agree to those goals as these 193 countries
0: as, as as i'm sure you know there's a lot of skepticism about the united nations uh, as a large bureaucracy perhaps corrupt certainly in its own way self interested uh could we trust uh, could we trust or should we trust large international bureaucracies like the United Nations, which aren't, of course, elected? I, I, I've never voted on who sits or doesn't sit at the United Nations. Can we yeah. trust large bureaucracies with the idea of, of tech for good, with solving the world's greatest challenges?
1: Well, per definition, I think large institutions and and, and organizations are too slow compared to the pace of the change we have now. In terms of the sustainable development goals, those were defined, so there's not much to trust or distrust. If we look at how countries or companies measure themselves against those goals, The assumptions and the measurements that are taken at country levels because a lot of uh, companies and organizations collaborate around that. There's a lot uh, being done to do self-assessments of companies to improve that and make it more objective because that has been very subjective so far in terms of trust in big institutions. Sorry if
0: jump in, Margot, what do you mean by that? That the companies can do... Uh, what, what, what the, I'm not clear what, well, that you know what First, When
1: those sustainable development goals were there, then companies could measure themselves against those goals and everybody used their own definitions. And, of course, that's not very objective, you know, if you measure yourself and you assu- assess yourself. So now more and more, especially in Europe, has been done to set standards for disclosures and materializations of measurements much more objectivity is coming into play companies have to report against them so that helps in terms of making things more objective Um, that's something companies do uh, less uh, so than institutions so it's becoming becoming more trustworthy as opposed to in the in the past in that sense.
0: Some people might argue, uh, Keith Tier. I think, I, I can't speak on his behalf, he's strongly against yes. regulation and regulatory regimes. He might argue that one of the reasons why European tech is so marginalized and relatively insignificant, especially in, in the context of the vast technological and business advances in the United States and China, is that there's too much regulation and that the idea of regulating tech in Europe, has essentially made it a uh, a marginal player at best in uh, in the technology industry. How, how would you respond to that?
1: Well, I think that's actually a very good point because it, it, it leads up to the idea that with regulation you can control um, the impact of tech and that you you know have a create a, a, a feeling of of trust because you protect things, but you know you can't control it. And the, the, the risk that you're only hindering progress and, you, you know, you're preventing further growth um, for bad, but also for good, I think is a legitimate one. I'm, companies in Europe often go crazy with all the legislations and all the prescriptions and all that. And then you can, you know, assess does it really have impact for what it's intended for uh, being male use and, and using tech for bad? And often it has very limbo impact, but uh, a lot of, you know, problems for companies to have to apply to it.
0: We're speaking with uh, Marga Hoke, uh a European speaker, entrepreneur, writer, author of a new book, Imagine Tech for Good. I uh, want to thank Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics for helping bring this very high quality content, going to run a short Feature on Liberties, and then we'll be back with Margaret to talk more concretely about tech for good, how we imagine it, and how we're gonna uh solve some of the world's greatest challenges. So don't go away, anyone. We'll be back in a second. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties it's not just a journal of ideas, it's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens, politics, opinion substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought, a quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can subscribe to Liberties. I strongly suggest everyone does so. Libertiesjournal.com. We are speaking with Marga Hoke, the author of Imagine Tech for Good, uh intriguing new book out uh um, asking us to quite literally imagine tech for good um margaret of course imagining tech for good brings to mind the the john lennon song about imagining a better world (laughs) is the core of this book concrete or are you really challenging people to simply imagine a better world is it a is it a polemic is it a a concrete manifesto designed to get people to use tech for the good?
1: Both, both. So it's a very concrete book that uh, gives uh, a lot of examples how tech for good is being applied around the world. Very concrete cases, examples, and backgrounds. At the same time, it also challenges to reader to dare to imagine things again, because so many people are, you know, like, fearing or dreading or paralyzed that nothing can be done and it challenges the reader to focus on what can be done instead of what cannot be done and to bring back the imagination how we can actually create a better world with technology so it's both
0: if Elon Musk was watching he might argue that he is imagining tech for good with Tesla some people might argue though that battery-powered cars create their own problems uh, new mining issues uh, Chinese colonialism in Africa doesn't every tech for good initiative also come with a degree of bad or, or is that simple oversimplification
1: no that's actually a very good thing because you know, it it is not as simple as we think. If we just change, for instance, uh, you mentioned Elon Musk and electrical cars, if we just change fossil fuel for electric, uh, the challenge is not solved because we have to look at the total supply chain and life cycle to make a good assumption whether or not the one solution is better than the other. Because, you know, with the electric cars, you have the uh, metals that go in, you have the batteries, and we have to learn to recycle those and not only to use virgin materials. So there's much more to it than just changing one building block, if you will. So the picture is always bigger than that. And often the progress, as you mentioned, comes with one upside, and then still we have some downsides because you, you never solve everything in one go.
0: Your book comes with uh, 75 real-life business cases. Is there one in particular when it comes to the environment that you can cite for helping us imagine the way in which tech is used for the good when it comes to uh, the environmental crisis we're all living through? Hmm.
1: Well, there's, there's many, of course, there's the whole um, carbon removal markets. There is a lot of new technologies to actually take carbon out of the air because, you know, even if we go into a zero emission um, uh, um, society, then still we have billions of tons of carbon that have to be taken out. So there's a lot of initiatives coming there. But there's also the area, for instance, of agriculture. You know, we have many more people around the world. We need more. Uh, food to be produced, so you know agriculture needs to be more productive. We have a lot of uh, loss in developing economies, and for instance, now you have um, platforms, and actually Microsoft um, built that foundation. One example is a call, called Azure Beats, which is a combination of robotics, AI, and data uh, in a platform to really boost production in agriculture, um, making sure that we use a lot less water, making sure we pollute a lot less, a combination actually of technologies that are being applied in one solution. And that's something we see more, more often, that in my book I distinguish eight groups of technologies from AI to 3D printing, robotics, advanced materials, and so on. And multiple of those solutions, blended digital and physical, are being combined into new solutions that find their way into a broad variety of business sectors, solving those challenges you just referred to.
0: Uh, Explain a little bit more about what Microsoft, you mentioned what Microsoft's doing in terms of agriculture. What what exactly is that? It's um,
1: it's a platform in which multiple companies, technologies are actually being combined to, to create a better agricultural production. So it's combined machine learning algorithms, drones, satellites and sensors to increase the productivity and the profitability of farmers. Because that's a problem we have, you know, one third of the food that's being produced around the world is either lost or wasted. Wasted is the Western world, but in farms, a lot is lost. And those cloud-based AI models provide a picture of the conditions of the farm, predicting what is needed, um, predicting crop management to make sure that uh, diseases have less impact, that the production is being boosted by strong seed varieties for instance so it's a combination of things that all together create a more profitable and more productive uh, farming system
0: some people might be listening to this Marga, and thinking well d- does tech really solve all this there's a huge debate amongst agriculturalists farmers thinkers philosophers about food how it should be produced how it should be grown there's a Regenerative movement. We've done a number of shows on that. I've got lots of friends yeah, in the regenerative yeah. agriculture sector. So some people might say, but it's all very well using technology for this in, in agriculture. But ultimately, it, it, it's, it comes down to how we use soil. Do we want to be as efficient as, as, as technology companies like Microsoft might want us that might actually exploit the cells of the soil. So can technology really solve these problems? the big problems, the big philosophical problems?
1: I think it's a big, big help in solving these problems. I mean, in the end, it's how we as humans decide to apply technology. Of course, it's not technology itself that does it, but it can be a huge help because it can enable us to do things we couldn't do before. We can get to areas in the world we couldn't get before or at a much higher cost. So it allows us to really do a lot more than before. But of course, you have to uh, have a holistic view of things. Uh, you mentioned, you know, we don't want to exploit the, the earth. Yeah, it's not a, only a matter of boosting production. It's all, also a matter of biodiversity and making sure that, for instance, the soil is not depleted. So a lot of things get, to get uh, come together in making those decisions. But technology is an enormous force for good.
0: You mentioned inequality a couple of times It's one of the Key issues in the Sustainable Development Goals of the United Nations. Could you give a couple of examples of how Tech for Good help is helping or could help solve uh, the world's challenge of inequality, which seems, in some ways, to be growing and in some ways uh, to becoming less of a problem, depending on on how you measure it. It seems as if inequality is more profound within late industrial companies like the United States, although the inequality between uh, Western industrialized states and and non-Western states seem now to be uh, becoming less dramatic.
1: Yeah, it depends on your definition and it depends on, 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 of course, where you look in the world. If we look at developing countries, we have huge inequality. Uh, and and in countries like the U- U.S. and parts of Europe as well, one of the important things um, to solve inequality is to include people in internet. Because if people have no access um, to all the things we develop in terms of technology, that we can bring them to, you know, to warn um, farmers for for storms and and weather conditions. We can bring education in a mobile way. We can bring predictive, we can bring healthcare digitally. But if people are not, don't have access to internet at all, then they're completely excluded. And that accounts still for around 35% on on our globe of people who have no access to that at all. So I think that's the primary thing. If we want to enable people to benefit from this tech for good, uh, opportunities, we need to include them in the internet. That's the first and foremost thing. And second, uh, yes, once people are included, there's uh, lots of ways that we can provide uh, education in areas that we weren't able to. And that doesn't only apply to uh, developing countries, but equally a lot of places in the US, uh, we can solve uh, poverty to an extent. So we can do a lot, but the first thing is to have people included uh, in the first place.
0: But I don't know what the numbers are in the United States. They're very high in terms of people who have access to the Internet. It's only a very small proportion of people who don't. And yet inequality is growing. So it doesn't seem to have worked in the United States. How would you address um, inequality in the United States where everyone's online?
1: Well, I, I recently learned, but I don't know all the exact numbers, that um, not everybody is online and also not in cities. So that, that's that's growing. Mm-hmm. But I think.
0: Um, so, how can tech be? I, I take your point, but still, yeah. the vast majority. How, how can tech be used to address the inequality problem in the United States?
1: I think with education is one important thing. What to, do you mean,
0: education?
1: Well, there's a lot of areas and a lot of places where education doesn't reach. I mean, there's still a lot of people that are excluded from education. And by all systems, you can bring that you can bring a lot of more work opportunity to people there's a lot what's more that got you can to do with
0: talk? tech though i mean your book's called tech for the good education is sitting in a classroom isn't it
1: well thankfully not anymore <laughs> not anymore at all you know since we have this technology we can bring education on, on on apps on MOOCs, on all kinds of digital solutions so that they don't only have the uh, classroom to use so there's a lot more of opportunities
0: so you're saying that if 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 people had it, it were, were able to be educated, uh, Americans had access to online education, it would address the problem of inequality in America.
1: It's one of the things.
0: You don't sound very convinced
1: well i'm convinced i mean i wrote a book on tech for good so that would be weird if i'm not convinced i think you're more not convinced
0: yeah Uh, well it just it seems a bit vague i mean education is there is lots of online education although i'm not sure most people use the internet for that and i'm not sure whether that would really address the issue of say, I mean, you're the one who brought up inequality. That would address this issue of inequality. What else apart from education?
1: Well, I think also the area of healthcare is one very important. I mean, there's a lot of people that have not enough access to healthcare, and having all these digital applications where we can bring preventive uh, healthcare to people in a much earlier stage is absolutely um, be solving part of the inequality in the US because it makes things more uh, accessible to much more people. But
0: when it comes to healthcare, for example, in the United States, tech has been incorporated into the privatized sector. So if you have good healthcare, you can use tech. How does tech help with that? I mean, I take your point on, on healthcare, but what's tech got to do with it?
1: Tech is ne- Technology is needed because there's a lot of simple applications that bring Uh, healthcare to people's homes I mean a lot of people don't have the the money or the capability to go to a hospital or to go to a doctor and by now we have systems and often now being provided by insurance companies as well to really you know uh, consult doctors and get medical advice in their homes in a simple way on their phone which is very different than if they would have to be able to go to a hospital and get it and go into the system so it's much more simpler and much more accessible and doesn't need a lot of investment for the people to be able to do it.
0: But this comes back to the, the, the key issue of politics is that in the United States, for better or worse, the health care issue needs to be addressed politically, although neither party seems willing to do so. Um, uh, isn't ultimately these the, the world's greatest issues that you talk about, and I, and I respect you for that, sustainable development goals, inequality, and uh, um, uh, anxiety, all, all the other issues that we deal with endlessly on this show, aren't they ultimately addressed by governments and not by tech? Maybe governments can use tech sometimes, but these are still at their core, political questions and political issues rather than technological ones?
1: I think tech is something everybody can apply and use. I think tech is the one thing. And then the second part is the party, you know, who should do it? And you refer to governments. Of course, governments have to do part of it, but business... Uh, has to do a huge part of it as well, and they can do because there's, there's also markets tying into what they do, so they can do it. I think uh, collaboration is key and in part has to be picked up by governments, but a huge part also has to be picked up by business.
0: Well, let's end, Margot, with a, with, a, with a nice story from you. As you said, the book is full of um, examples of, of companies and individuals and perhaps governments doing tech for good what is let's finish with a with with a convincing story what what is the story that for our viewers and listeners will help the most imagine tech for good in terms of solving the world's greatest challenges uh maybe an anecdote or, or, or something that c- can make them feel as if technology really can do good
1: Well, let me just mention one thing that um, surprised me in a positive way when I wrote it. I mean, we all know that um, coral reefs, for instance, are disappearing around the world. And, you know, uh, without real action in 20 years, uh, the majority of coral reefs will have disappeared. And now we have technology, we have 3D printing technology that is that good that we can added to the shrinking coral reef that the nature accepted as as real coral reefs, and that it actually restores the damage inflicted on those coral reefs. And that's what technology can do. And I think that is a thrilling example.